Scaffoam North America specializes in scaffold sales and rental. For over 40 years, Scaffoam has developed its global footprint with physical locations in 15 countries. However, as a group, we haven't lost our family-owned roots. Serving North America with locations in Canada and the USA, we strive to offer our clients the highest caliber of products with the most professional and efficient staff. Products typically include scaffolding and heavy-duty shoring systems. Our scaffold design team and engineering group are even able to make custom solutions for customers when they're in need of a specific product that no one else provides. We are industrially focused with large infrastructure projects, including but not limited to towers, facades, bird cages, spheres, suspended scaffolds, refineries, dams, power stations, bridges, water towers or standpipes, water digesters, hoardings, stair towers, and rolling scaffolds. If you would like to learn more about Scaffoam International, please see scaffoam-rux.com. Welcome to the Sailor Jimmy Podcast, your one-stop shop for raw takes on current events, sports, news, and everything in between. Inspiring people to chase their dreams, share their success stories, and find joy in life. Season 1 is presented by Scaffoam North America. Now, here's your captain at the helm, U.S. Navy veteran, Jimmy Rogers. Welcome back in for another episode of the Sailor Jimmy Podcast. We took a couple weeks off, schedule got busy, but we're back in the saddle and we're here for a very special episode this evening, a very special episode for me. As you guys know, I grew up a huge, huge sports fan in the city of Houston, a big homer for the Astros, Texans, Rockets. So I love all of our Houston sports teams and I have the honor to have what I consider probably the most successful journalist in sports history in Houston, and perhaps maybe further than that. But he's a NFL columnist for gallerysports.com and sportsradio610.com, and his Twitter handle is McLean underscore on underscore NFL. It's my honor and privilege to bring on to the show tonight, John McLean. John, how are you? Jimmy, I'm doing great. Great time to be a Baseball fan in Houston, not so much football fan with the Texans starting, let's see, 0 1 and 1. Could have won both games in the fourth quarter and blew them. With University of Houston getting stomped by Kansas, at least we got our Rice Owls. <laughs> but you're a Baylor guy, so you cheer for the Rice Owls, anyways, huh? I am for, first of all, I'm for Baylor because I went to Baylor and grew up in Waco, but. I've always wanted Houston teams to win. If Houston teams don't win, I want it to be the Texas teams, including the Cowboys, because I'm a Texan. Spent my whole life here, and so I'm a Texan born and bred, and I want to see our state do better than any other state. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you get busy and you do a lot, so I appreciate you taking the time to do this podcast and be here. My pleasure. We like to open up the show with some rapid fire questions. We're looking for one word responses, have a little fun with this, and then we'll move on to some other topics. So coffee or tea for you, John? Tea. Summer or winter? Summer. Would you rather attend the Super Bowl or Game 7 of the World Series? Game 7 of the World Series if the Astros are in it because I've been to 44 Super Bowls. Favorite athlete of all time? Oh, boy, favorite athlete of all time. Johnny Unitas, Johnny U, great quarterback for the Baltimore Colts. He was my hero as I was growing up when I was a kid. And the last one, this, this one's funny and fun, but 
Who do you like more, Landry Locker or Sean Pendergast? <laughs> Sean Pendergast. Nobody <laughs> likes Landry Locker. Give me a break. Uh, Landry, was... does, Landry doesn't even like himself. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. Cool, man. Well, those are good friends of mine. Landry and I have a lot of fun when we do In the Loop on Tuesdays. We go at it like crazy. But I respect him and I like him. And, of course, I've known John Lopez since he came to the Chronicle. From the San Antonio Express, was a great writer for us and a great columnist. And like me, he's writing for gallerysports.com, Mattress Mac's new website. And I always tell people, like, these deals that Mac sets up at Gallery Furniture, gallerysports.com is free, free, free. <laughs> well, expand on that a little bit. Is the Gallery Sports, is that just a new project for Mattress Mac and something he's passionate about? Obviously, being a big supporter of sports in Houston. What is the what is exactly gallery sports? I retired from the Chronicle on March 31st. And I knew that I was still going to do my radio shows. I do 10 a week in six cities, five on sports radio, six, 10, because talking for money is a whole lot easier than writing. So I retired from the Chronicle and I had a couple of companies call me about writing for them and I wasn't interested. But then Mattress Mac asked me if I could come back to the store and talk to him about a project. And I went out and we sat down. This is in the middle of May. And he said, I got an idea that could make me a lot of money. And if you're with me, it can make you a lot of money. And I said, well, you already got a lot of money. And I don't know anything about selling furniture. And he started laughing. He said, nope, here's what the idea is. And that was the way we started to formulate gallerysports.com. We have a gambling site coming called gallerygaming.com. And he wants that to be the best gambling site in the country. So I recommend Fred Fowler, former Chronicle sports editor. Fred had been afternoon drive time host on 97.5. He was the editor of the sports map. And I've known him since he's four years old. So he took it over. He's put it together. We cover every sport in Texas and Louisiana. And Mac, by the way, if the Astros win the World Series, and when he first told me this in the middle of May, I thought, you don't have a prayer. If the Astros win the World Series, he went $75 million, largest payout in history to an individual in the United States. And now, with seven starting pitchers, and with Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker and Alex Brigman and Altuve all playing great, I'm not going to say that he can't do it. To me, it'll come down to either the Astros or the Braves, or the Dodgers. And with that pitching, they got a chance to make Mattress Mac 75 mil. And we know, Jimmy, he'll give most of it away. So he's, a, he's, a, he's been a great representative of the city of Houston and great in the community. So, I mean, good for him. I just wonder if the sports book that he – because you're talking about a wager that he put in, I think, preseason, correct? He couldn't get, can't get anybody to take his bets anymore, all of them. So he has to fly around the country, starting in Louisiana, $2 million here, $2 million there. He bet right. $10 million total on the Astros. If the Astros win, all the people bought $4,000 worth of furniture, get it free, free, free. <laughs> and they get money back. And I've never seen anybody as a promoter and somebody who cared about his city more than Mac does. He went to the AM game, and he was walking around shaking hands before the game at tailgate, shaking hands on the sideline. He does that at UT. He's the ultimate salesman and never gets tired of it, and he likes to make money. 
Right. He won $15 million on Kansas, winning the NCAA tournament. So I thought, why not? If you're going to get involved with somebody on a new website, who's better than Mattress Mac? And I write four columns a week on there, and I appreciate anybody checking it out, gallerysports.com, and it is free, free, free. Absolutely. I'm already, I'm already checking it out. I've already looked over the site and I've read some of your articles on there. So thank you. I like what you guys are doing and Mattress Mac. I've had the opportunity to meet him a few times. Just man, when you talk about work ethic and the American dream and all those things, that's Mattress Mac. And you still can go into gallery furniture and he's standing right there at the front working till nine o'clock at night, shaking people's hands and doing his job. So what a, a inspiration to all of us. I wanted to ask you, you, you talked a little bit about in the beginning about the Texans and how I was just listening to Sports Radio 610 on the way over here, and they were discussing Indianapolis is 0-2, Tennessee's 0-2, just got really hammered last night. The Texans had a chance to win both games. They were in position. They should have won the first game, in my opinion, and in the second game, they had a chance to win that one, too. They could be 2-0 and with two games lead on the favorite in the division. So how does that all sit with you? What are your thoughts on that and the situation the Texans are in right now? The over-under on victories for them coming from Vegas was four and a half. I picked them to win six, go six and 11. And I think next year is when we'll see them make a big leap because they've got 12 draft choices, including two number one picks. And you could hear them cheering all over Houston when the Jets beat the Browns at the end of that game because they need the Browns to lose as many as possible to get that draft choice. Second number one pick they get for Sean Watson be as high as possible. So I look at that first game. They're going very well. It's 20-3. Laramie Tunsil, who's played really well, but made one big mistake in each game. He misses a peel-off block. The guy blindsides Mills. Strip sack fumble. That's not Mills' fault. Ball's at the 20-yard line. Easy touchdown, and the comeback was on. And then at Denver, the defense did a great job against Russell Wilson for the most part. But let's be honest, Jimmy, Nathaniel Hackett, the first-year coach, he's off to as bad a start as I've ever seen of a first-year coach. They were so bad, they ran out of timeouts with more than seven minutes left in the game, and I've never seen this in my 47 years of covering the NFL. I saw that. Fans chanting down the play clock so the quarterback and the play caller would know, and they just did an awful job, and that contributed to the Texans keeping it within one score. And the Texans should have had a touchdown. Davis Mills threw a ball that Brandon Cooks should have caught. as a little off target, but so what? Brandon Cooks is an NFL receiver, was right in his hands. Doesn't mean they would have won the game, but at least they scored a touchdown. And Mills was terrible against the Broncos, third lowest rating of his career. No interceptions, but no touchdown passes, off target, overthrew receivers, underthrew receivers. He's out of sync with his receivers. Better get it going in Chicago because if they lose to the Bears, who are terrible too, then that's going to be an embarrassing start for the Texans. Now, they're not going to win the division or go to the playoffs. This is more for the Titans and the Colts. The division is so bad right now. You win two or three games, you're on top. Jaguars 1-1, one one, Colts are 0-1-1, one one, Indies 0-2. Raiders are going to Tennessee. Colts hope Kansas City because I'm guessing then they'll be 0-2-1. But this is a division. I don't think the Texans can win it. No wild cards coming from this division. It reminds me back when Bill O'Brien got here, 9-7 would win it just about every year. And 8-9 may win it this season. 
Well, I mean, you don't think even with the way the division has started with Indy and Tennessee. I mean, from my expectation going into the season, the Texans, although they're o one and one, I feel like they're playing a little better than I expected. And I think looking at the division as a whole, based on I know it's just two games that I wouldn't say they're the favorite, but I don't know. I feel like the division may be up for grabs. Maybe the teams aren't as good as we thought they were Tennessee or or the Colts and who knows, right? But I just think the Texans, although they should have won the two games or could have won the two games, I still think they're performing a little bit better than most people expected. Obviously, nobody expected a tie with the Colts. We expected the Colts to win that game easily. But So the team's ultimately performing better under Lovey Smith, I think, last year, obviously, than David Coley. As a fan, there's a little bit to be excited about. Anyways, that's my viewpoint on it. This time last year, Jimmy, they were one and one. Right. Jacksonville was favored to beat them six and a half, and they blew out the Jaguars. And we're all thinking, man, they're going to be better than we thought. Tyrod Taylor looks really good. And then at the end of the second quarter, in the next game at Cleveland, he went out. They had to play Mills, who wasn't ready to play. And then they went straight down the twos. But this year, the defense is playing better. They still can't stop the run. And Rasheem Green getting a one and a half sacks playing with Jerry Hughes and Jonathan Grenard in his first game with the Texans should help their pass rush. And I think it's good that they went after Derek Stingley Jr. He gave up some big plays to Cortland Sutton, but he made four big plays, one in the end zone. That's part of his maturation as a cornerback. But the thing that bothers me the most about the first two games is why in the world did Pep Hamilton, decide to give Rex Burkhead 19 touches, including 14 carries, and then all of a sudden let him touch the ball twice, no carries in the second game, and going with Damian Pierce. Pierce should have been playing more in the first game. He played more in this one. He should have gotten more than 15 carries. They need to get him the ball at least 20 times a game, and they need a better backup running back. They had Marlon Mack. And they let him get away. He should have been number two instead of Burkhead because Pierce can't get every play. But that was one of the worst coaching jobs I've seen. And Pep Hamilton determines what happens on offense. But it's pretty obvious. Lovey Smith said, hey, Pep, let's start playing Damian Pierce. Well, I do say, I don't know how you feel about it, but I felt like they're showing their youth at the end of the game as well in the fourth quarter where they just, I don't know if it's under pressure or they just don't know how to close the game yet. And I don't know if that's the inexperience of the team. But they had opportunities to to win those games. And I'm with you on we were talking about it in my house when Burkhead kept getting the handoff. We were like, what is happening right now? Why is Damian Pierce not getting these touches over Burkhead? So I think everybody was seriously confused about that. But ultimately They tried to use the excuse me, Jimmy. They tried to use the excuse. Well, you know, he's got to be able to block and he's got to be able to He's catch more experienced. The ball. Yeah. And okay, if he couldn't do it then, why was he playing this whole game this week? And it's pretty obvious they just screwed up in that first game, and hopefully it won't happen again because Pierce is so much better than Burkett. And one of the things they did better is their left guard, Kenyon Green, started for the first time. He did really well as a run blocker, which they knew, and looked pretty good on pass protection. I went back and watched every play over and over and over, and Scott Quisenberry who played center, he's a five-year veteran making 11th start of his career, and he started every game in preseason. He did really well as run blocking. The key now is we know Damian Pierce can run between the tackles. Let's see him get him out in space, throw him a couple passes, just get the ball in his hands. 
was one thing I don't understand about Pep Hamilton. He started three tight ends against the Broncos and one wideout, Brandon Cooks. His fascination with three tight ends because they don't have a tight end. That's got to be one of their biggest needs in the offseason. With Pep Hamilton, though, what I did like from him is that I felt that, you know, in the Bill O'Brien years and even last year, the offense was very predictable. And, you know, you almost knew like 60 or 70% of the time on first down they were handing the ball off. And then I don't know if was it this week or last week when he came out of the second half and called the flea flicker. I see a little bit more creativity in the offense. That's kind of a positive I see, but obviously the Rex Burkhead thing and and some of the other decisions are still questionable. But well, that Rex Burkhead thing should have been put to bed with this last game. And, and hopefully it is Chicago. He needs to get the ball at least 20 times for them to have a chance to win, I believe. Justin Fields, they beat San Francisco in the rain and the mud, but his rating is not much better than Davis Mills, and uh, he'll run more. Right. You know, they've gone up against Matt Ryan and Russell Wilson. Even though Wilson can move, he doesn't run like he used to. And Justin Fields, at first sign of trouble, he will take off. And one of the things that defense has got to do, Bernard and Jerry Hughes got to set the edge. When I was watching the tape, Jimmy, too many times they come flying off the ball, headed upfield, Tackles right and men, the back runs outside of them. And, and, of course, the Texans still can't stop the run. That's an age-old problem. Maybe next year. A few more first-round draft picks, huh? Well, John, let's talk about Davis Mills for a minute. Obviously, he ended last year on a high note, was performing well. These first two games of the, of the season have been, for me, I feel like I'm still a little bit on the fence, but I'm leaning towards I don't think he's the franchise quarterback. I see him as maybe a serviceable backup in the future. Maybe I'm overreacting. I just, the way the game is now in the athletic quarterbacks who can extend a play. And I just, I don't, it's just a gut feeling. I don't see Davis Mills as the guy to take the Texans to win a Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on Davis Mills and the, his future as the quarterback and the franchise quarterback of the Texans? When Josh Allen was in his second year, he was pretty terrible. Nobody saw him go in the Super Bowl. Remember when he came to the playoffs here in 19, he was awful. Texans won it in overtime. And people are like, What's the big deal with this kid? Now he's going to win a Super Bowl. And I, one thing I've learned in 47 years, you can't judge anything at this early in a player's career. It's not like he's turning it over, making a lot of bad decisions. Nobody, I don't think, now some people think, you obviously don't think he can be a franchise quarterback. I don't know. All I know is at the end of last season, he played pretty damn well, and he was better than any quarterback, rookie quarterback in the league over the last five games. That was documented. I did a column, one of my last columns for the Chronicles, going over what all those rookie quarterbacks did. Like Mac Jones, he had a good running game, good defense, and he still faltered at the end when Mills was playing better with no running game and no defense. So he was mediocre in the first game, two touchdown passes to O.J. Howard. Then Howard gets one catch for seven yards. And Mills is going to come back and string a bunch of games together, and they got to win or lose at the end. But nobody that I know, nobody believes he's a franchise quarterback. All they believe is he deserved a chance to start. And if it doesn't work out, they'll get a quarterback after the season. Fair enough. Okay, something else I wanted to talk to you about. You're on the selection committee for the NFL Hall of Fame. You're one of 49, I believe, committee members. Is that correct? I've been a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame Selection Committee for 30 years, Texas Sports Hall of Fame Selection Committee for 25 years, Pro Football Hall of Fame Senior Selecting Committee and Coach Committee for 20 years. 
So as somebody who's on the committee, what is your thoughts on the selection process? Is it updated regularly? Has it been the same for as long as you can remember? How do you feel about how we select players into the Hall of Fame? And do you think my favorite player of all time, not just because he's a Texan, just because he's my favorite player of all time, is Andre Johnson. What do you think his chances are next year of getting selected into the Hall of Fame? I presented Andre before our committee. I did the whole process from when he was part of the 125-25, and he got down to the 15 finalists, and I presented him, and he made the cut from 15 to 10. He did not make it from 10 to 5 because we didn't take any first-time eligible candidates. We decided to take care of some people who were long overdue. I thought that DeMarcus Ware was lock, just like this next class, I think Ware should be a lock. And I think Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis are locks. That leaves two other spots for everybody else that's going to be a finalist. I'm confident that Andre will be a finalist. I hope he's one of the two that makes all of fame. I firmly believe he will. It's just a matter of when. A lot of times it has to do with the competition. Nobody ever says, well, I don't think Andre Johnson deserves it. That's not what it is. As far as our process, it's amazing to me. I see these ex-players on NFL Network and ESPN yapping about our process when they're clueless about it. I saw that with Brett Favre and his scandal. He's involved in welfare. And I saw some former players saying, we just put him right in the Hall of Fame despite all his off-the-field issues. Now, a couple of them are in the Hall of Fame. They ought to know the bylaws. The bylaws for the Pro Football Hall of Fame are this. We do not consider anything a player does off the field. So if OJ came up today and I thought he murdered two people, I'd still have to vote for him because he's one of the best players in history. We've had those bylaws read to us two or three times at our meetings and But we can't change them. We have nothing to do with that. That's the Pro Football of Fame's executive committee. So it's based, you can sniff the white lines. It doesn't matter. All it does is we consider what you did on the field. And if Pete Rose, Roger Clemens, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, if they had the same bylaws as we do, they'd all be in the Major League Baseball. Is that a different standard for the MLB? I'm not sure yeah, if you're aware. They, but- they legislate morals and we don't. Because I think it's tragic that Roger Clemens and Barry Bonds aren't in the Hall of Fame. That's just my take on it. I agree with you, Jimmy. And the reason is they were two of the greatest in history before they started using performance-enhancing drugs, even though neither one was ever proven that they did it. I think we'd all be pretty stupid to think they didn't based on what they did at the end of their careers. But they were first ballot Hall of Famers before that ever came up. And Pete Rose, I think at this point, if Pete Rose had fallen on the sword and said, I screwed up. Yes, I gambled on my own team. I didn't gamble on any other teams. I made a mistake. I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. He'd been in the Hall of Fame decades ago. You think if he would have been more remorseful and, and apologize in the beginning, they would have let him in? Absolutely. They were close to letting him in. He had a book came out claiming he didn't do it, which was stupid on his part. I don't know. I just was thinking about this. I think it was the last time the MLB had their announcement for who was getting into the MLB Hall of Fame. And I just thought it's all media people that vote on this, correct? Not in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It is in baseball. Okay. So is there any chance in the future that either the Hall of Fame says, hey, let's change it to not just media members for baseball. Let's have fans vote 10% of who gets in or 
or executives or, or something like that? Or do you think it always stays the way it is? Do they ever change? The- I don't have a clue. Right now, baseball is controlled by the Baseball Writers of America. And their members are the ones that vote on the Hall of Fame. In football, our selection committee has former general managers, former coaches, and former players. Just like the AP All-Pro team, which is much more important to players than the Pro Bowl, which is a disaster. Because you can be a fourth alternate and make it. Selecting Hall of Fame, when we talk about a guy, well, he went to 10 Pro Bowls. We didn't even know he was voted in originally. I would never let fans be part of any process because it's only a popularity contest. But as the Pro Bowl's proven, it's a popularity test, too. And on that AP committee, same thing. We got former quarterbacks, general managers, coaches on there, and you get a much more accurate portrayal of a legitimate all-pro team than you do when the coaches and players and fans are voting. Fair. Interesting. So you've been covering sports in Houston for 47 years, you said? Or is that just how long you've been a journalist? No, I've been a journalist. I started the Waco Tribune Arrow working for the late, great Dave Campbell, founder of Texas Football Magazine, when I was going into my that magazine. junior year at Baylor in 1973. And then I left there to come to the Chronicle after I graduated from Baylor in October of 1976, covered the original Houston Arrows for two seasons, and then went to my first Oilers training camp in uh, 1977. Wow. So out of all those years covering Houston sports, what's the most memorable moment for you in Houston sports history. Now you're talking about football or everything. I'm talking about everything. Well, let me go back in college basketball. It would be five slam a jam losing to North Carolina state in the Astros. It was having Nolan Ryan on the mound and a three or four run lead at Philadelphia to go to the world series and blowing it in 1980. And with the Rockets boy, they weren't favored 1980 and 86. I can't think of one that some of those teams that Yao was on, I thought were going to be better. I'll tell you what it was. When Chris Paul got his hamstring injury, I think they would have won the NBA championship if Paul hadn't got hurt. That was the worst. In football, the worst was the blown 35-3 third quarter league at Buffalo, Buffalo. On January 4th, 1993. Where were you when that happened? <laughs> Covering a game like always. Were you in Buffalo? I went to every game for 45 years. I just can't imagine blowing that lead. That was a chance to go to the AFC Championship game? No, that was the wild card. They would have played in a division game. They would have played at Pittsburgh. Yeah, I hear my dad talk about that, how just painful that was. But Every year it comes on NFL Network, I'll show it, and I'll have people text <laughs> me, hey, the Oilers-Bills games is on and I text them a two word response. The first one starts with F and the second one is U. <laughs> That's hilarious. I can only imagine. Just myself, there's been so many times and I feel like disputes and sports have let me down and it's just it's now it's like it determines my mood on Sunday. I get so I put so much time and energy into these games and I tell my wife, you know, we're gonna cook, we're gonna it's all this planning and then you get let down. It's like when is the payoff coming? Except with the Astros. The Astros have been good to us lately. The Rockets, I'm, basketball is my favorite sport. I grew up playing basketball. Had the opportunity to play varsity basketball with Jimmy Butler at Tomball. The Rockets. He was just, the second best player, right? He was the second best Jimmy in Tomball for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the Rockets, you know, 
like you said, that game seven or whenever Chris Paul went down with the hamstring, that was like a dagger in the heart for us Rockets fans. And I'm just waiting for baseball is my third favorite sport. So I get excited about the Astros. But if the Texans win a Super Bowl or the Rockets win a championship, that's going to be a special moment for me as a fan. And maybe in the near future, well, not near future, but hopefully sometime in my lifetime that happens. One thing I believe about the Rockets, Jalen Green is going to be a superstar. What he did at the end of last season was why they drafted him. He is just spectacular. And I think getting Jabari Smith, I thought it was going to be Bancaro. Everybody said that Jabari Smith was going first, then be able to get him third overall and the fit that he will have because he's a hell of a defensive player. That's what they need because they got some talent. People ask me, who's going to win quicker, the Rockets or the Texans? And I say the Rockets because it's easier to build because you don't need as many players. But I think the Rockets this year are going to start to take off after being the worst team the last two years. And I think it'll be next season before we really see any progress with the Texans. And being here for the Rockets, two championships was special, especially with Olajuwon and Rudy T and part of it and all the players that worked in the for the Rockets. It was just an unbelievable experience. Sam Cassell, Robert Ory, Mario Ellie. And someday I'll probably be on the other side of the grass, but when the Texans finally win a Super Bowl after all the waiting that the fans done, we haven't had a team in a championship game since the 79 Oilers. That'll make it even sweeter. For sure. I believe it's going to happen. And the Astros need to win a World Series that's not tainted, and this might be the year. Yeah, and I bought a mattress from Gallery in 2019 when they lost Game 7 to the Nationals, or who was it? Was it the Nationals? Nationals, yeah. Yeah, and I just, man, I thought I was going to get this free mattress, get my money back, and they just broke my heart. <laughs> I had to go pay mattress back for the mattress. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up, Jimmy, because I'm writing a column for gallerysports.com that will be posted Thursday about the Astros' sustained excellence and how the Nationals went straight down the toilet after winning that World Series. They get fans got lied to, you know, help us with the new stadium. We'll keep our free agents. We'll sign free agents. And they've been a fraud. And I'm going to detail how the Astros have stayed on top and how the Nationals have just totally collapsed to being one of the worst teams in the league. And as a fan, I've been a fan of the Astros since the first pitch of the first game at 62 when they beat the Cubs and Ramon Mejia said two home runs and Bobby Shantz got the victory for the Colt 45s. So I've been with them a long time. And that World Series loss in 05 was gut-wrenching, especially four games. They should have been better. And the one in 17 was great. And then it turned out to be tainted, and then they lose. And seven of the Nats, six of the Braves, maybe this year is the time they finally do it. But, man, oh, man, the National League with the Dodgers and the Braves and the Mets, hopefully they'll beat each other up, and the Astros will beat the Yankees to get to the World Series. And El Mattress Mac wins $75 million. It truly is incredible how good the Astros have been and sustained their success. I mean, that's hard to do at a professional level, and it's it's quite brilliant to me. And you keep thinking they're going to – Something's going to happen. They're going to fall off. But every year, they're right back at the top. And it's just we got to really, really relish this this time in the Astros' existence because we've went through the hard times, too. Springer was my favorite player. Okay, I was crushed when he left. And I thought this year, Correa, my God, they're going to drop down somebody, the Mariner, Mariners or the Angels or the Rangers are going to win the division. 
And then Jeremy Pena is no Carlos Correa, but he's been a nice substitute. And pitching usually wins it. And they've done a great job of developing pitchers, not just finding them, but developing them. And Hunter Brown being the latest, you know, he pitched three innings in that uh, division-clinching victory at Tampa. And that kid, something I'm thinking about, they have seven starters, legitimate. Next, after the season, Justin Verlander becomes unrestricted. He had 130 innings. Does Jim Crane is really close to him. Pay him like Max Scherzer. 40, Scherzer makes $43 million. Will he pay him $45 million? And I think Verlander wants two years and an option or maybe three. Do they give it to him even though he'll be 40 next year? Or do they let him go because they still got six other starters? That's a tough decision. You got to eventually, well, they already paid, they already re-signed Alvarez, right? They got him under. They need to get Tucker. And if I'm Tucker, I wait until after next season when the shift is outlawed. And that means you can't have three guys on the right side of the infield every time Tucker and Alvarez get up to the plate. So no telling what Tucker's average will be next year because he should get a whole lot more hits. Good stuff, John. How many years have you been married? Let's see, I'm working on 34. 34 years. 34, my favorite number. What's you and your wife's ultimate favorite date night? Movies or an Astros game or every once in a while a concert. I'd say we both love movies. We don't go at night. We go during the day. I think I've heard you talk about this on 610 where you guys go to the movies together and you go see separate movies. If there's something she wants to see, like she likes musicals, I don't. I like things where people get killed and beat up and dramas and action. And she'll go to those. But if she has something she really wants to see, she'll go to one theater and I'll go to another. one. That's awesome. So what's the best marriage advice you have for all the young couples out there to last 34 years in marriage? (laughs) (laughs) If my wife could hear us, she'd be in there about to throw up. I'll say there's two words you have to learn. Yes and dear. And the other one. You always, always, it's your fault. It's never her fault. It's always your fault. And always be prepared to say, I'm sorry, and I was wrong. Oh, man, that's that is great. That's great. Whether advice. you believe it or not. That's great. So even if, even if you know you're right, you just got to say you're wrong just to move on, huh? That will diffuse a lot of confrontations, Jimmy, let me tell you. Awesome. Well, John, it's been a pleasure having you on today. Thanks for taking the time. I really enjoyed this. It means a lot to me as a young sports fan growing up. I've listened to you on Sports Radio 610. I've read your articles, and I've been following you for years, and this this meant the world to me. So thanks for taking the time, and thank you, Sean Pendergast, for setting this up for me. hope to do this again maybe one day or, or meet you one day in person at an event or something, and just thank you for being here. Jimmy, you just let me know. Thank you for your service. Anytime I can help. And Sean Pendergast and I do three podcasts a week, Utopia on SportsRadio610.com, all on the Texans, but some on the NFL, and we're going to be working in a lot more Astros. Thank you very much, Jimmy. You bet, John. Talk to you soon. That was John McClain, everybody, a legendary sports journalist in Houston. He's been covering Houston sports his whole life and for as long as I can remember. So really, really special interview for me today uh, on the show. I want to take a moment real quick to shout out our sponsors of the show, Texrax, Douglas Vaughn. If you have any AC or refrigeration needs or problems or issues, call Dougie 
over at TexRax. He's been supporting the podcast since we started. Here in Texas, it seems each year, the weather's becoming more and more extreme. Heating, air conditioning, and refrigeration maintenance, repair and replacement can no longer be left to your run-of-the-mill contractor. In today's world, you need a company that can provide not only top-notch services, but also provide excellent customer service and is reliable, honest, and professional. Well, folks, we're here to tell you, Texas Refrigeration and AC Services, better known as TX Racks, is the company you've been looking for. Texas born, Texas owned, with 30 plus years of experience, TX Racks offers a full range of services for residential and commercial heating, cooling, and refrigeration. If you're looking for the best of the best to handle your preventative maintenance, which will keep your equipment operating efficiently and prevent unnecessary breakdowns. If you're looking for a company that is well-trained in indoor air quality to keep your family and employees healthy and happy. If you're looking for a company with integrity, reliability, and great customer service, look no further. TX Racks has you covered. They offer a full range of air conditioning, heating, and refrigeration services using the most up-to-date technology and training with a mobile app to keep you informed about the arrival of your technician and the expert knowledge and experience to evaluate the quality of air you're breathing, along with always providing a live professional to take your call. TX Racks keeps Texas homes and businesses warm in the winter, cool in the summer, and keeps all of us covered with the best warranties in the business. Always on time, always dependable. Call TX Racks for all your cooling, heating, and air quality needs. TX Racks is your go-to in Texas. Always ready to rack up on satisfied customers. Call TX Racks today. Also, Scaffum North America, JJ McGinnis and his company. Call him for any scaffolding needs. Thank you to our sponsors. We can't do it without you guys. You guys help us make it possible. Also, a couple things coming up. We have the concert in the country for Boots for Troops, November 5th. Aaron Watson, Shenandoah. That's the largest fundraiser of the year for Boots for Troops. It's really a concert experience that you can't find anywhere else. It's set on a beautiful horse farm. It's literally a concert in the country in a big horse pasture. Uh, we got food trucks, vendors, live music, salute to America. We honor our veterans, local, some local veterans on stage. It's really a night to show uh, our love for our troops and, and just you just feel the patriotism in, in, the, in the field. So Tickets are on sale for that, ValorTix.com, or you can find out all the information on Concert in the Country at ConcertInTheCountry.org. So we hope to see you guys out there supporting Boots for Troops. I'm going to close it out for today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will see you guys on the next episode of Save the Jimmy Podcast. And always remember, what are you doing with your life? Thanks for listening to the Sailor Jimmy Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Jimmy, check us out on the web at SailorJimmy.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash SailorJimmyTX, on Instagram at SailorJimmyTX, and on TikTok at SailorJimmy. We'll see you next time.